Hello and welcome to the new episode of Women in Customer Success podcast, the first women-only podcast where remarkable ladies of customer success share their stories and practical tools to help you succeed and make an impact. I'm Maria Skobe-Pile, your host. How can anthropology guide your customer success behaviors and decisions? As I'm talking to Marike Smits, Senior Enterprise Customer Success Manager at Pluralsight and aspiring anthropologist, we are exploring what are the lessons and applications of anthropology in customer success. Tune in to hear Marika's very interesting career story and anthropological insights into behaviors, data and culture within customer success. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome Marik Smith, Senior Enterprise Customer Success Manager at Pluralsight. Marik, I've been waiting for this for a few months. <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> thank you, Maria. It's such a real pleasure to be on your show. And thank you so much for inviting me. Marika, a little bit what I've heard about your story is just so fascinating in so many different ways and aspects. And let's try to uncover some of those bits and pieces of your story. I know that it's very international and you'll be doing different things before moving into customer success. So let's start with that. What is the story that you want the listeners to hear about you? <laughs> Thank you, Maria, for the question. Actually, uh, it, it's very random. <laughs> it's a little bit difficult to put some structure into it, but perhaps that is something that a lot of people can recognize. I do think that many of us actually did not know when they were younger that they wanted to work in customer success. Of course, it's also still a very new field. Yeah, so let me just start by the beginning. Ever since I was young, I wanted to like change the world, make a difference. And because of that, I studied public international law with a focus on human rights law. And I ended up, when I was a student, working on Madagascar for the World Food Program. Back then, there was a public-private partnership between a Dutch company and uh, WFP. And I was very lucky to be selected to actually go work there, uh, which was great. Uh, I loved it. I was uh, working in the fields and I spent almost two years there. After that, I met somebody in Madagascar. I moved with him to South Africa. So because of love, I actually moved to another country again. And there I got a job for a big IT firm. And that was actually how I moved into the IT and the tech space, where I still am working in. I currently work for, uh, for Pluralsight, which is also a tech company. And yeah, I've had many different roles there. I worked in a bit office as a bit manager. I did some marketing, some business development. And basically, eventually, after I think having worked there for six years, I got into a customer success position. From there, basically, I stayed working as a customer success manager. And yeah, I really love it kind of feels like everything I like about it has come together in this role. So now finally, I think, how many years later? Yeah, just a few days. So anyways, so now I've been with Pluralsight for almost two years. And before that, I was with another company for uh, two years as well, working in a customer success role. So very random story. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Not that random, actually. You know, having some background in business development, marketing, it's great. It's amazing for customer success as well. You're just getting all that previous experience and knowledge from how different departments work. It just helps mm -hmm. you in doing your job and dealing with those departments again in your role. But it seems that this is now the second company where you are actually doing customer success. So what is it that you enjoy about it? Yeah, I think that what you just mentioned is uh, the fact that if you work in CS, a lot of different aspects actually come together. So, of course, you've got stakeholder management, which is really important. Uh, it's really about building those long-term relationships, which is something that I particularly like about it. 
But of course, it's also very much about negotiation. So you should have good negotiation skills. And the thing that I like a lot about it is that with the customers I work with, which are the larger customers, it's important to really gain a strategic understanding as to where the customer is at, what their business goals are, and then, of course, how I can help them achieve that from a customer success point of view. So it's really a nice role in which all those different things come together. And yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Now, as you mentioned, you're working with bigger customers. There are lots of people out there listening who are always thinking, how does a day-to-day look like when you're dealing with bigger enterprise customers versus the smaller ones? So in your company, you have loads of different customer success departments for enterprise, for small business, for scales, etc. Now, this is not a test question, but I wonder for the listeners, what is your main take of different segments and different sizes of those customers? Mm -hmm. So why is your job different than someone who is dealing with the smaller customers? What are the advantages and maybe bigger challenges with those customers? Well, I think that first of all, of course, if you work with smaller customers, you typically would have more customers as well. So then you would be more skill driven, basically. Uh, There will very likely also be more automation involved. But if you work with the larger customers, I think the single thing that is very important is to really keep discovering and rediscovering like where the customer is at. Uh, again, what our strategy is, and in, in my case, like what our tech learning strategy is, because that's what we do as plural sites. We've got a tech skills platform. And that's something that I would say is a little bit different if you work with many different customers, simply because of the fact that you would have a different approach and also less time, of course, to engage with each and every customer. So if you have several bigger ones, you really build like a very like deep relationships. You typically would speak to multiple people within the company. So not just with a few contact persons, but like really with maybe 10 or even 15 of them. And you really try and get aligned and stay aligned with what they actually really want to achieve as a business from a strategic point of view. And that is something that's super exciting and very interesting and ever-changing. So <laughs> yeah, again, we need to stay aligned with the customer and keep that conversation going. Personally, I am very passionate about learning and continuous learning, continuous investment in yourself, in your your skills, in your relationships. And maybe I'm getting it completely wrong, but you started in Pluralsight even just before the pandemic. So I just wonder, in general, with your customers, do you see a shift or difference in end users' approach to learning now during pandemic when everything went online, when potentially people hadn't? more time to invest in their learning than previous. And as I said, it could be just my assumption that is wrong. I know that personally, I was probably investing in more in learning throughout the pandemic when we all were at home. So I just wonder, mm-hmm. was there a trend in the world? Of course, I can only share with you what I've seen with the customers I work with. So actually, what I've seen are two things. Definitely, a lot of companies, of course, have started to work more digitally or completely like fully digital. There basically has been no choice. So right now, it's actually become very normal to work online, to do everything online. So that includes, of course, online learning. What I do see, and I think that's something that we see as a trend across like all tech or software services that that we have, is that people, of course, can be a little bit overwhelmed perhaps by everything that they've got available. So it's really important for customers or companies as well, I think, that would like their their people, of course, to keep learning, to also create other things around having learning available online. So how do you create an environment in which you can learn like collaboratively, still together, like with your colleagues or with your peers, 
it's always very important as an organization to keep communicating with your people. So even though we're all at home and we're all behind a laptop and we're no longer part of the physical team, basically, make sure that you are very clear about where you're headed as an organization. Again, what is your strategy? How does it translate into like a learning strategy as well? Why is it important for your people to learn, you know, and what do you do as an organization as well to actually enable your employees to keep learning? Also, of course, during the pandemic. We have seen in certain areas, of course, it's quite diverse, but in certain areas, people have really like their learning has really spiked, basically. So you can see that people perhaps were looking for something else to do as well during the pandemic. So some of them really took advantage of that and other people started learning a lot and then it actually decreased a little bit. So it's very different. For myself personally, I started an online master's in applied anthropology. So I definitely started learning more during the pandemic. I'm into my second year now. But the nice thing is that uh, Pluralsight also sponsors that partly, which makes it easier for me, of course, to engage in such a program. And it's been really amazing. It's a completely different field. A lot of people are very surprised that after having studied international law and business administration, I would actually go and study anthropology. Because a lot of people associated with researchers venturing into exotic places to study like far, <laughs> far flung societies and people, but that's definitely no longer the case. Yeah, I, I can see you going into some exotic place right now during the pandemic. So tell us more about yeah. how does it look like studying anthropology, firstly virtually, and what are all of those amazing things that you're learning currently? So I think that there are a few things that, of course, anthropology is a study of culture and it basically is studying the study of human beings and how they see and how they perceive the world around them and how they make sense of things. The whole idea is that we can be in exactly the same situation, but you will actually perceive it very differently than I would because of the fact that you grew up in a different culture, that you've got like different experiences, etc. So that's basically like what it's all about. And there's two things that are very key to the study of anthropology. One is the emic perspective, and that's a bit of a technical term perhaps, but it means that as a researcher or, or as an anthropologist, you really always try and put yourself into the other person's shoes. So you don't actually look at the situation from your own perspective, but you always try and understand where the other person is coming from. And you try to actually make sense of things from their perspective, not your own. And, and of that's course, exactly- that's very useful. I just wanted to say that sounds exactly like everything that we're doing customer success, isn't it? Exactly. (laughs) What we should be doing. Yeah, definitely. And then we can tie it back to the whole discovery process. That's why I love talking to customers because I can get a chance to put myself in their shoes and like really try and understand what it is that they want to achieve, what's important for them, what they value and also value that, like what's behind that. Somebody can tell you what their key objectives are and what they need to achieve, but it's always so provides always so much more insight to actually ask the question like, okay, why exactly? You know, like what's behind it to really find out what drives people and what's what they value. So definitely I can use that in, uh, in my job currently. Okay, so that's good to understand. You're already hinting that you're using loads of like why questions. I just wonder as customer success professionals, of course, you need to have those strategic conversations, especially you working with your enterprise customers. Do you have already some toolbox of some of those questions, prompting questions that 
potentially you're using in the research as well that is helping you in your conversations. So why is one question that is already there? What else is there? Yeah, I love this question actually. <laughs> and why? Because I realized that I've tried to come up with questions that you can ask, but the thing is that the context is always different. So there's not really like a fixed <laughs> set of questions that you can just ask and there will always be an opportunity to ask those questions. What I've actually found like over the past years, I think is that very often, and it's something I need to learn because I talk a lot, <laughs> is that sometimes you get much more information by actually not asking another question, but actually just being silent for a bit. And then it draws people out a little bit to actually share more. Yes, on the one hand, I would say I definitely try and make notes of questions that are helpful and that I would like to actually use in my conversations. But I also, or even more so, I think I try to play a little bit with not actually talking all the time and seeing what comes out of that. So, yeah. Silence is good very often. You know, yes. it's that psychological thing, almost you're having a conversation and then you suddenly you're quiet and then the other person maybe feels uncomfortable and starts sharing more and more, right? So that there shouldn't be that pause in between, which comes in handy for us, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it's also, of course, about giving people space. I mean, especially in business, we're always very effective and efficient and we don't always have a lot of time to actually have an in-depth conversation. But even then, I think it's important to give people space to really share like what they're working on and why it's important to them. It's wonderful to get loads of anthropological application at your work. That's one of the things, trying to understand another person, like being in their shoes. I wonder what else is there that you think you can draw from your anthropology. I wonder when it comes to the culture, is that something that you would compare with organizational culture? Of course, anthropological study of the culture is much different than when it happens within the organization. Mm. It's just me now being curious. I think that, yeah, of course, you've got organizational cultures. So it's definitely true that what one organization would value can differ greatly than from what another organization would value. What I often see in my work is that there are certain things that most companies want to or need to drive. In my case, of course, in my current job, uh, I would see that a lot of customers or actually everybody these days needs to drive digital transformation. And there are like a few key things that most of those companies would like to achieve. But the way in which they shape it and the way in which they actually execute and the way in which they make sense of it differs a lot. So that, I think, is where the cultural aspect comes in, because no organization is the same. So again, if you extend that to customer success, yes, you can have different frameworks or certain things that you can do. But I think it's very important to always keep in mind that, that yeah, culturally, organizations are different. So we should also meet them where they are at. And of course, the first step to be able to do that is to first figure out where they're at and who they are in order for us to also be able to have valuable discussions with them and to help them. Okay, this is now a wonderful tip. Every organization is different and it's having different culture. You as a customer success professional, even when you have the same methodology that you're using for all of your customers, or at least all of your portfolio of accounts that are, let's say, similar size or similar stage of customers, you need to always be mindful of differences on the receiving end, right, of the customer's yes. end. And you need to be flexible enough to change your approach when needed based on the needs and the culture of the other organization. Yes, definitely. Because at the end of the day, of course, as much as we've got best practices and a lot of tools that are very helpful, 
we need to be aware of the context of our customers in order to really help them in a way that, that makes sense to them and adds value for them. So yeah, definitely it's all about meeting them where they are. And a first step in that, of course, is first understanding them. Marika, it's interesting to hear how you're already applying what you're learning in anthropology for customer success. There is so much conversations about the data and how customer success is data-driven, but very often we speak about that data as numbers almost, as you know, quantitative data that you can just read from the graph and make decisions out of it. I'm very often even more interested in quality. I used to study education and it was all about doing, you know, qualitative research, finding out what is behind the story and getting deep into it. And that's something that I still like to do with my customers. And you're doing anthropology. And of course, there is lots of qualitative data there. Tell me more about that. What does it even mean for you? And what would be the lesson from anthropology for customer success? Basically, our lives are all about data, right? Everything these days is data-driven. So it's not only work, but it extends like far beyond that. If you talk about data, you've got like the quantitative data, so all the numbers, usage information, those types of things. And you also, of course, have qualitative data. So in that sense, that could also be considered data. But I think the way in which you look at it, I think anthropology can help with that, or an anthropological approach can help with uh, providing more context around data. So what do I, do I mean by that? Let's say that you do a user survey, for example. People will actually give you answers. You know, you can run some analysis on that and that will give you insights. But what we know from studying people is that what people say is almost always very different than from what they do in reality and also from what they value because what they value and which basically what explains their behavior does not always come out of data especially not quantitative data, but even with qualitative data from surveys or something like that, like it doesn't always really come out. So I think that it would be very nice if we can actually combine it, have the data available and run our analysis, but complement it basically with observations, complement that with really going to customers and actually working with them and seeing how they use your products and seeing like what happens in real life. Not what they say about it, but what you actually really see happening. So yeah, that would be really helpful. I don't know if it makes a lot of sense, but also I think it's interesting what you're saying now almost, okay, we need that richness of data. We need another level, Mm. but am I getting it right now? Let's say that the customer gives you whatever, seven in MPS. And what does seven mean? You know, almost nothing because it's just in that middle, which is not even promoter, not detractor. So you're saying they can do one thing, but they can say another thing. So I wonder, how do you approach those conversations with your customer when you get some, let's say, survey data? How Mm. do you want to validate that they were actually meaning it or that they are using the product in the way that they are responding to your surveys, which is just great to understand how surveys are just, you know, could be completely wrong indicator of the reality of your customers. Mm. Yeah, definitely. So personally, what I try to do, but that's not really an anthropological approach. I think that most people do that, that also run surveys, is really to look for themes, of course, like within the qualitative data. And I really like really digging into the qualitative data because even though it's what people say they do, you still can get a lot of information out of there. But I think that something else that some of our teams do, for example, the product development teams, but I'm sure that other organizations, there are also teams that do this type of work, is to really actually have conversations with the customers that are very much open-ended. 
So it's really about just tell me like how you experience something. What are your challenges? What do you like? What do you not like? And to really, again, provide them the space to really share. And things will pop up if you actually do that with, with customers. To take it a step further, personally, of course, I would love to actually go and just spend time at <laughs> all of my customers just working with them because that's where you could also pick up a lot of very useful information and really build an understanding of how they engage with your product and how we can better support them as an organization. But obviously, I can't just go and sit at each and every one of my customers for one month. But that would actually be what anthropologists could also do. You know, do field work. So really go and spend time with the group of people that they're researching. So yeah, perhaps in future, there will be more interest to do that. I think there will be because it gives a lot of super useful information that can really help organizations. Even if you start with coffees and lunch months, that will be allowed. <laughs> with yes. Kind of on-site <laughs> with customers. You know, even that can provide some information. Oh, wonderful. So let's remember observation and digging deeper beyond the data and what data is saying, just trying to evaluate that and trying to look for patterns. Definitely. Mm. It's all about like an iceberg. We're all icebergs, right? We can only see what's beyond above the surface. And what's most useful and insightful is always what's actually like below the waterline. So it's a little bit about that, I think. So dig deeper and try to understand more. <laughs> yes. Wonderful, Marika. I'm noticing something in your career. Well, let's say recently that you got an award, Lean on Me Award at Plural Side. <laughs> I think that is wonderful. Congratulations and congratulations on your promotion in this year. But I wonder what does those type of awards mean to you? Because this award is very yeah. much being amazing team player. Just tell us more. How amazing yeah, are you? Yeah, it's nice that you mentioned that. I'm a little bit surprised you actually noticed. <laughs> But yeah, so I got awarded the Lead on Me Awards and we've got several awards within Pearl Sites as part of our recognition program, which is really amazing. But this one in particular, I must say, I really appreciate it. The reason being that for this specific award, colleagues had to nominate you. So yeah, it was really a surprise for me that I actually got the Global Award, which means that a lot of my colleagues nominated me for this award. And the award goes to somebody who is basically always there to help others out, to share best practices, to share ideas. Yeah, so <laughs> I was actually like very much, very pleasantly surprised and I really appreciated it. That's wonderful. Well, congratulations. I like when you can see a company's culture, even with that, like with awards, with the opportunity to recognize people who are doing great job in many different areas, right? It's not only about chasing some numbers. With lots of companies, we can see that the case sometimes is just getting recognition for getting the most sales, for example. So exactly. it's just amazing to see the myriad of other awards out there. Congratulations again. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so lots of global <laughs> colleagues realize <laughs> that you are such a great team player. And that's something that is also making you a great customer success professional. It seems that you're doing really, really great in your role. What have been some of the lessons or the tips that you would share from your career with the listeners? Yeah, one thing is that, well, something that I have seen develop or that I've seen over the past like 10 years or so is that the amount of information that we have available has like grown so much that sometimes it's very difficult to actually find resources that will help you or even people that will help you like throughout your career. Even myself, I, I sometimes get overwhelmed with all these like articles and webinars and things and I think that it's important, of course, if possible for people, because then you first need to know like what it actually is that you're passionate about or that you're really interested in. 
but to not try and do everything or not try and learn everything or not think that you need to know everything, but actually just kind of let it naturally develop. It's a little bit tricky for me to really articulate that, but it's great to have a plan. Let's say that you would like to work in, in customer success or in a different area. It's great to have a plan and to follow that. But I personally also very much believe in going with the flow a little bit and just yeah. picking up things along the way. Yeah, you can have the plan, but then it's still perfectly fine to deviate from it. To just like say yes to an opportunity that comes along and who knows, you may might, might find yourself in a different country or in a different job that you actually find out you really love. So just go with the flow a little bit more perhaps and let's not oh, be tough on ourselves. That. Yeah, that we need to know everything and that we, yeah. And keep developing, but don't make it something that puts pressure on yourself. Also try to create some space and some room for yourself in there to do it because you want to do it and you enjoy it. That is such a good advice. Think of yourself. I can think of myself like five years ago. What was my plan? Okay, maybe five years ago I started to hear about customer success. But if I was always sticking to my plan previously in my life, who knows where would I end up? And what would I do? It's it's just so amazing to, as you said, go with the flow and say yes to the opportunities. Otherwise, you can just actually be stuck in your own plans without seeing so many amazing things out there that you could probably enjoy. Exactly. And I think that if we look at other people that we are inspired by, we often think, at least I think that that's the case, but perhaps I'm completely wrong. I often think that we are under impression that they have had like a very clearly mapped out career path and that they always knew exactly like what to do at what time. But yeah, my personal experiences from talking to people as well, that everybody is just trying to do their best and opportunities come up and you take them or you don't. And we also have a lot of failures along the way and then you end up where you should actually end up. At it. Yeah, so I think it's important to go with the flow and not take yourself too seriously either, I think, along the way, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Absolutely. It seems that it is something that led you throughout your career because you changed into different fields and you really found yourself currently in customer success. I don't know, what is next? Do you think that five years from today, you will still be in customer success or the world is just full of opportunities? Who knows what happens? Yeah, I have no idea. It could go either way. I really love what I'm doing now. So I can definitely see myself like grow more in this space and gain more experience. But of course, as I just mentioned, like you you never know where life is going to take you. And that's also very exciting, I think. One thing I must add to that is that even though my decisions have always seemed or seemed quite random if I share my story with you now there has always been like a golden thread basically throughout and that is something that I think people can use throughout their careers or throughout their lives and those basically are things that you just really value highly and that you're very passionate about that can be like many different things of course it's different for every person but I personally know now also looking back that if you have this one thing that you know that you're really passionate about that it also will help you like take decisions and that will take you on this path that will also allow you to actually do something do work that allows you to live up to those values basically and what have you identified what was that one thing <laughs> yeah so as i started off my very random story by uh, telling you that i studied public international law and i was working for the world food program in madagascar because the reason that I always wanted to help people. For me personally, social impact has always been very important. I did not set out to work in business when I was younger because I wanted to work for an organization, you know, like to help others, maybe something in international development or something similar. 
But I must say that now I'm still able to do that, but in a very different capacity. One of the reasons, for example, that I joined Pearl's site is that they've got democratizing tech skills as our mission, which basically means that Pearl's site is a tech uh, skills platform, but we also make tech skill learning available for organizations and individuals that normally would not have access to it. And I really love that because it's a way in which as a business, you can have a huge impact and you do it in a way that is aligned to your core business. So it's not like just a project that you have on the site, but it's really something that's part of your DNA. Like we provide this as a service to individuals and to customers, but at the same time, we also provide it to people that normally would not have access to tech skills, tech skills learning opportunities. And yeah, so basically in a way that I would not have envisaged before, now I am in a job in doing something I really love. And at the same time, it's an organization that, that has a really good social impact. So, yeah. Impact is that kind of a golden thread that was leading you throughout your career. What is the impact of your work to others, on other people? Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Marike, who inspires you? That's also a really nice question. Well, first of all, but that's super unrelated to the whole story. But <laughs> my mom inspires me a lot. <laughs> nice. Because she's also very much somebody who like follows, I guess, her intuition. And yeah, is always very positive. And that has always inspired me a lot. But not on the family side. If we go back to business and career-wise, I'm always very inspired by leaders that understand that the role of business goes beyond the bottom line. So, of course, tying it back to the social impact story, we've got a lot of businesses these days that are working really hard to do no harm, which is something, of course, that, 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 there's, uh, that we talk a lot about these days. But I think certain leaders really understand that the role of business in society is like growing at such a speed that big businesses have more impact than certain governments, for example, if you look at the number of people they reach, if you look at their revenues, etc. And I really admire people that are leading businesses that actually truly believe that they can have a positive social impact as well and that also tie it into their business so really make it part of their dna so not just as a marketing type of thing or anything like that but really something that is always there and it's part and parcel of how they run their business and how they grow their business wonderful to hear about your passion for social impact and for wider impact of businesses and us as individuals on the society. Marike, for the listeners who would like to find out more about you or even anthropology, where can they find you? Actually, only on LinkedIn. <laughs> That's the best way, the only place to reach out to me. So uh, you can find me there. A lot of people have the same name in the Netherlands, my first and my last name. So, But if you do a search on LinkedIn and you also add plural sites, then it should be quite easy to find me. I will put a link in the show notes where everyone can find you. And yeah. just to wrap <laughs> it up, uh, what is one question that you wish other people would ask you more often? We kind of touched on this, but instead of asking a lot of questions... I would really love for people to try and listen to each other a little bit more and not to think about like what it is you're going to say next or ask next or not about, you know, trying to convince the other person of your point of view, but really listening with the aim to try and figure out like how the other person sees the world, what they value, like what's important for them. I think that would be really, uh, really great if we could, uh, could do a little bit more of that. And it's a lot of fun as well. Yeah. Mm, to do a little bit more of listening that is a wonderful advice Marika and thank you so much for coming to the show yeah thank you so much thank you for listening next week new episode 
subscribe to the podcast and connect with me on LinkedIn so you're up to date with all the new episodes and the content I'm curating for you. Have a great day and talk to you soon.